Well, good morning, South Fellowship Church. I'm so glad you joined us for worship wherever you are, in your living rooms, on your cell phones, whatever. Thank you for tuning in. And I'm excited to worship with you. This first song is a great old hymn. And during this season, I just, I just keep thinking about this hymn because the chorus says this, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. Life is worth the living because he lives. So I hope you don't mind if we take a little bit of Southern gospel for you. And let's worship him. Let's worship him. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love. He and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. I'm empty grave is there to prove my sin. Greater still the calm assurance 
This child can face uncertain days because he lives. Amen. Amen. Lord, we worship you this morning. Thank you for that beautiful promise. Thank you. Shaking, all the dead are coming back to life. 
Father. Your love does awaken us. You are ever faithful. My foes are many. They rise against me. But I will hold my ground. I will not fear the war, no. I will not fear the storm, my help is on the way, my help is on the way. Lift your voice, you know.
God, you've remained faithful. Even in this crazy season, Lord, even though sometimes it's hard for us, Father, to see what you're doing, we trust that your spirit in us confirms and affirms all of those truths. You are faithful. You are faithful. We let your kingdom come and your will be done. This next song has become one of the songs that I turn to when I'm getting weary. You see, none of us are designed to carry all of the weight of the world on our shoulders. This is a declaration that, God, I need you. I'm leaning on you. carried a burden for too long on my own. I wasn't created to bear it alone. Hear your invitation to let it all go. And I see
Hey, good morning, South Fellowship. I'm Tom Walker. I'm one of the elders here, and it's really an honor and a privilege to um, share God's Word with you today. About three years ago, uh, my wife and I went on vacation with some friends uh, to Costa Rica, and we stayed in a house right on the ocean. It was a beautiful setting, and one of my friends, Troy, decided to take one of the ocean kayaks out onto the water. And he was out there, and I was watching him, and I thought, boy, it would be fun to join him. So I decided I'll grab a kayak and do that as well. So I went down to the water, put on my uh, life preserver, and hopped in the kayak, and out I paddled. Well, I was having a great time. It was a lot of fun. And as I got closer to Troy, I turned a little sideways, and this ocean swell came up, and it knocked me out of my kayak, and I was not prepared for that moment. You know, I was aware that I was in deep water, and I had my life preserver on because well, I don't know how to swim, but I was not prepared how I would respond in that moment. And to say I panicked a little bit would be an understatement. Fortunately, my friend Troy, who's a firefighter, uh, came over, and after realizing he couldn't get me back into my kayak, he had me grab his kayak with my left hand and my kayak with my right hand, and I floated in behind him as he rowed us both into shore. Really, Troy saved my life that day. Well, we're studying Mark 13 this morning, and the timing couldn't be better. Uh, Jesus gives us a beautiful answer this morning of how to respond in uncertain times. And there are some eternal truths that we can study together. While this chapter talks about the destruction of the temple, the adversity and persecution that the disciples will face, a lot of apocalyptic imagery and signs of the end times, it also reassures us that Jesus is coming again, although we don't know exactly when. And throughout, it has some very encouraging words for us, words that apply to our lives today as much as they did to the disciples of that time. 
Now, for some of us, this coronavirus has gripped us in fear, and we're feeling uncertain about what happens next for our economy, our jobs, our communities, and even the welfare of our families. And yet for others, you're fighting much bigger battles in the midst of this crisis with a diagnosis of cancer, a sick parent or child that you're caring for, overwhelming grief from the death of a loved one, deep depression, a troubled relationship, or perhaps a failing marriage. And we're challenged with these feelings of despair and anxiety. And yet as believers, we're asking ourselves, why do I feel this way? Where is God in this? How can I help others when I'm the one that needs the help? What do I do? How do I respond? I find the most encouraging parts of this chapter are Jesus telling his disciples in the face of very uncertain, very tense, very anxious, and scary moments that he provides them with a balance of wisdom and advice that Jesus anchors with comforting words in his promises. So, we can rest in God's wisdom He will guide us, and we can take comfort in knowing God is with us. Wisdom is being obedient and following God as he leads us, and comfort is the assurance that God is with us. The disciples are about to encounter very uncertain times, and Jesus helps them and helps us view the present and future differently. Jesus is preparing his disciples in much the same way he is preparing us for what comes next. Given what we're facing today with the coronavirus and other issues, I believe God has a word for us today. Followers of Jesus can face uncertain times by being more aware, better prepared, and absolutely alert. And we can do so with boldness and confidence. This boldness and confidence is not in our own strength, not in our own skills, not in our own wisdom, but a boldness and confidence in Christ's strength in his ability, and in his wisdom, with a clear awareness of his presence. We can walk into tomorrow with boldness and confidence as we embrace a posture of awareness. Let's get into the text. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4, and then I'm going to jump down to verses 14 through 23. As he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, behold, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another, which will not be torn down. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew were questioning him privately. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of all these things that are going to be fulfilled? Verse 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And let him who is on the housetop not go down or enter in or get anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are with child and to those who nurse babes in those days. But pray that it may not happen in the winter. For those days will be a time of tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the creation which God created until now and never shall. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or behold, he is there, don't believe him. 
For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order, if possible, to lead the elect astray. But take heed, behold, I have told you everything in advance. So Jesus is prophesying about the destruction of the temple as well as the siege on Jerusalem, which will happen about 50 or 60 years later. Take a moment and imagine what's happening. Passover is about to begin. Many of you know that Passover is one of three Jewish festivals that require a pilgrimage to the temple in Jerusalem. Passover is the Jewish celebration of the passing over of the final plague of death that God released on Pharaoh and the Egyptians. God instructed Moses to have all of the Israelites paint their doorposts with the blood of a sacrificed lamb to identify themselves as God's chosen. Now, Herod's uh, temple is massive. He made it four times bigger than Solomon did, kind of like HGTV Temple Edition on steroids. The base stones are massive white marble stones the size of a city bus. We would all be impressed just like this disciple was. Anyway, think about how Jesus' words would have impacted them. Jesus tells them that the temple is going to come down stone upon stone. So as you can imagine, this puts the disciples more than on edge. They're more than feeling anxious. This is not good news. This is devastating. They are stunned. This causes them to question God. Why would the temple be destroyed a second time? How could Jesus allow this? They don't know what's coming next or what tomorrow brings, but Jesus is in the midst of it. Guess what, South? Jesus is with us too in the midst of our current crisis. So Jesus drops this first bomb on them, and then they stroll over to the Mount of Olives, which is where a lot of folks go at night. Dan taught us a few weeks ago that there's over a million people jammed into the city of Jerusalem during Passover, so they need a place to stay, and the Mount of Olives is where they go. Mount Olivet is about a Sabbath's walk from the temple, or about a half a mile. So it took them maybe 20 minutes to get there and find a place to sit down while they looked across this small valley back at the temple. But you know, on their way, their way there, they had to be looking at each other with these bewildered looks on their face saying, what is he talking about? The temple's going to come down stone upon stone? This is a major disruption to their lives and what they know as normal. They know Solomon originally built the temple about a thousand years ago. And about 400 years ago, King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians destroyed it. But then Herod rebuilt it. But it's going to be destroyed again? So they want to know when and what are the signs. I'm sure Jesus listens patiently to their questions and he lets them sit in the tension and anxiety of the moment. And then he unleashes verses 5 through 13. And Jesus began to say to them, See to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he and will mislead many. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. Those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you to the courts, and you will be flogged in the synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake." as a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. 
And when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not be anxious beforehand about what you're going to say, but say whatever is given you in the hour, for it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against their parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all on account of my name, but the one who endures to the end, he shall be saved. So, I can only imagine how this completely blows their minds at this point. First, Jesus tells them that the temple is coming down. And now he says, oh, by the way, there will be false teachers and wars and nations fighting against each other and earthquakes and famines. And if that wasn't enough, he says they'll be persecuted and arrested and tortured in front of tribunals. And family members will turn on each other. They're stunned, speechless, probably a little in shock. But let's not miss how he tells them to be aware and prepared to respond in the moment. The disciples ask what and when, but they don't ask why. And verse 10 tells us the why. Because the gospel must be preached to all the nations. So Jesus gives them the why behind the what. And he gives them their first clue as to their ultimate purpose after he's gone. Throughout these verses, Jesus is preparing his disciples with knowledge of the future and how to respond, and he provides them with encouragement. Verse 7, do not be frightened. Verse 9, be on your guard. Verse 11, do not be anxious. Why? Because you have a higher calling to spread the gospel. My words, my teachings, and I'll give you the power from the Holy Spirit. At that time, we can walk into tomorrow with boldness and confidence as we embrace a posture of awareness, an awareness of our higher calling and an awareness that the Holy Spirit is with us. We can walk into tomorrow with boldness and confidence as we embrace a posture of preparedness. Verses 14 through 23 are about this second temple destruction. And what Jesus was essentially telling them was to be prepared. So when they saw these things occurring prior to the Romans laying siege, they could run into the hills above Judea and save themselves and their families. The Jewish historian Josephus described the second temple destruction and the impact on the people in pretty horrific terms. But in numbers only, he said that 97,000 were taken captive and 1.1 million either died by famine or by the sword. What is unbelievable is the horrifying event that occurred in Jerusalem. But it's not much different from the, what we experience in the modern era. Earthquakes, between 1900 and 2015, there have been more than 10,000 strong quakes around the world with a magnitude of 5.0 or higher. Humans have recorded earthquakes for over 4,000 years. Famines, today, the world stands on the brink of unprecedented famines. About 30 million people are experiencing alarming hunger and malnutrition in Africa. Wars of the past 3,400 years, humans have been entirely at peace for only 268 years. And at least 108 million people died in wars in the 20th century alone. Viral pandemics, they've occurred for centuries. Since 3000 BC, the top five of the most deadly 
have occurred since 1957. The question isn't, will we face hard times that feel like the end times? We most assuredly will and continue to. The question this morning is, how do we respond? We're told to be watchful. Well, I can say that I've been very watchful recently. I'm watching a little more Netflix. Uh, one of you told me last week that he's watching his 401k go to a 101k. I'm watching March Madness, but it's not basketball. Uh, I'm watching the madness on the news every night of people laying on floors in hospitals and other people fighting over toilet paper. And how is Jesus telling his church to respond, to rise above our circumstances and to bring a comforting word and helping hand in the face of this pandemic? We can walk into tomorrow with boldness and confidence by being prepared. In verses 9 through 13, Jesus is preparing the apostles for the persecution they would face. He's telling them to be prepared. That's why he's telling us later in this chapter of what to expect in the end times and to be alert so we're not taken off guard. And Jesus tempers these warnings with encouragement, which provides a boldness that they would experience in that moment of high tension and drama of being questioned by the religious authorities of the day. He was preparing them to do what he had already modeled for them, and the greatest encouragement was he promised his presence in the form of the Holy Spirit. So at this moment, he's calling them to rise above their circumstances of uncertainty and even persecution and embrace his presence for their higher calling. How do we respond when the tension is high? Do we rise up or do we curl up? Do we rise to engage the culture or do we curl up in bed and pull the covers over our head in fear? Whichever person you might be, God calls us to look to his Holy Spirit for the answers in that moment. Let me be honest by saying that anxiety can take us by surprise. When my friend Troy died back in December, I was writing his eulogy and I was sitting at the computer. And as I was typing this, I felt this intense pressure on my chest, and it felt like somebody had a grip around my throat. I felt tight. I couldn't take a deep breath. And I thought, oh my gosh, am I having a heart attack? And so I debated with myself, and I got up, and I went and took an aspirin just to be safe. And then I got my family engaged, and they said, hey, let's go to the ER. So off we went to the ER. And five hours later, I came back with a multi-thousand dollar bill, and a diagnosis of anxiety. Well, listen, because we have a higher calling and because the Holy Spirit is with us, he'll give us what we need in the moment. Yes, we can walk boldly and confidently into tomorrow as Jesus prepares us. Here are two questions we can ask ourselves in this moment as it pertains to preparation. Number one, are we prepared to share the hope that we have found in Jesus and do it in a loving way? 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. You know, sharing the love of Christ is something we're already expected to do. And during the uncertainty of this pandemic, this is the perfect time to ask questions. Aaron said in last week's sermon to be curious and ask questions. Yes, this is the perfect time to take the spiritual temperature 
of others who are feeling lost in the uncertainty of this virus by asking them how they think God is involved. And it opens a dialogue and allows us to hear the heart of others. I was on the phone with my mom the other day, and she was telling me that she had cooked a piece of salmon for one of her neighbors in her apartment building. And that irritated me that my mom was sharing an expensive piece of fish with a neighbor because she barely has enough to feed herself. And so I said, Mom, why did you do that? And she said, well, Tom, it was Friday, and Catholics eat fish on Fridays during Lent. And uh, after I hung up the phone, I had to swallow hard and admit that my own mother has more faith and is more like Jesus than her son, the elder. Number two, are we prepared to meet others where they are? You know, Jesus modeled this so well for us. I was in King Supers the other day, and I ran into a friend of mine, uh, and he didn't look the same. He didn't look like he usually does. And I said, Peter, what's going on? And so he stood aside for a minute, and he told me, Tom, uh, my marriage is on the rocks. It's almost over. I'm sleeping in the basement. Um, our kids are devastated. I don't know what to do. And so we took a moment, and I listened to him, and, and then uh, I prayed with him right there next to the uh, garbanzo beans in the canned soup pile. You know, when we're aware of others and not focused on ourselves, we're able to live in the way of Jesus, with the heart of Jesus. John 15, 4 says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. The disciples were with Jesus while he was with them. And after he left, the Father sent his Holy Spirit for them. But it's hard to know what God's Spirit is saying if we're not walking with Jesus. Abide in him. Over the last few weeks, we've seen what the human heart is capable of. We have a tendency to hoard. We want to make sure that we have enough for ourselves and our families. And in America, we're not used to going without. God calls us not to hoard, but to hide his word in our heart and then give it away to others freely. I encourage you in the midst of these days to take inventory of what your heart wants and to prepare your heart for what God wants in your life. So we can walk into tomorrow with boldness and confidence with a posture of being aware. We can walk into tomorrow with boldness and confidence with a posture of being prepared. And finally, we can walk into tomorrow with boldness and confidence as we embrace a posture of being alert. Some versions say watchful, others say on guard. My New American Standard says to be alert. In these final verses, 24 through 37 of the chapter, Mark lays out the final tribulation of time, the return of Christ, and the gathering of his elect to himself. It has this high apocalyptic drama and tension of the earth being shaken, the heavens and the earth being destroyed, but with the assurance of those who know him, his elect, that will be saved. We're told to be alert, to watch for the signs, and the fig tree is the allegory of knowing when to expect the Lord's return. And it's not some big mysterious sign. Jesus uses the fig tree, something the people of that day were very familiar with. And he says, hey, when the leaves pop out on the fig tree, you know that summer is near. It's an easy and simple sign. 
Then Jesus drives the point home. While you may know that summer is almost here and the signs are easy to recognize, you don't need to know the exact time. And he emphasizes this with the parable of the master of the house returning. It's not about the time of his return as much as it is the reality that he's coming back. And Jesus says, hey, recognize that the master is near. He's at the door. So Jesus is saying, open the door and be ready for him. Be alert that he's near. Don't be caught asleep. Be prepared to welcome him because he is coming back. And we'll have a big welcome home party. It'll be incredible. Most of us automatically answer the door when somebody rings or knocks on the door. If you don't know Jesus this morning, he's standing at the door of your life, the door of your heart waiting for you to open it. He won't force his way in, but he is asking you to invite him in. Just a few thoughts on how we can be alert. First, we can be alert or aware of our sin with the assurance that he forgives us. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Second, keep short accounts, friends, and admit when we're in the wrong. I've recently been feeding on this verse uh, in Isaiah. Isaiah 66.2 says, but this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. I know what the word humble means. I had to look up contrite, and it's a sensitivity to sin and a readiness to confess our sin when we're convicted. And I still need to understand what trembles at my word means, but I'll work at that. Lastly, our best approach to walking boldly and confidently into tomorrow and being alert is in prayer with the Father. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in every circumstance for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It means turning every situation, every moment, every relationship, every work issue, every anxiety we feel, every worry and doubt, and every decision over to God. When the fiery darts of anxiety come at us, awareness through prayer and God's presence guards us and protects us. So God calls us today south to be aware of our higher calling, to preach the gospel to all the nations, and to rise above our circumstances today with God's truth and knowledge of his presence. Remember, wisdom is being obedient and following God as he leads us, and comfort is the assurance that God is with us. He calls us to be prepared and ask ourselves the deeper questions. Am I prepared to share the love of Christ with others, the reason of the hope that lies within Am I prepared to meet others where they are? And am I prepared to abide with him? We talked about being alert. Jesus repeats three times in the last two verses. And my encouragement is to be alert to the condition of our hearts. Be alert to confess our sins and keep short accounts. Now, if you've heard absolutely nothing I've said this morning, please remember that our prayer life checks all of the boxes by being aware, prepared, and alert if we will simply abide in Jesus and take the time we desperately need to pray. Then the fruit of our life comes naturally as we abide in Him. You know, that day that um, I fell into the ocean and Troy had to tow me in, 
taught me a lesson that I needed to learn how to swim because I don't know how to swim. So this last summer, I um, asked Christine Suddeth, Josh's wife, if she would teach me. So she's given me five lessons so far. Uh, we're going to be taking more lessons this spring. But she's got me up to a full minute of treading water in, in the deep end, which is hard for me because I've had tremendous fear of the deep water ever since I was a child when I almost drowned one time. Well, she's been preparing me. I'm certainly way more aware of myself in deep water when I'm there. And I'm more alert as to what's going on around me, what I need to do to respond in that fear of the moment. Friends, imagine if we step boldly into this moment. If we're aware that the Holy Spirit gives us what we need in the midst of our trials, if we prepare with purpose and live in the confidence of Christ's love, and if we stay alert to the events that are happening around us, and we invite our own hearts and the hearts of others to abide in Jesus, yeah, then we can say that we have risen to the call of Jesus' words and live with a new boldness and a new confidence by living in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. I've asked Aaron to sing as our closing prayer today. Be still and know that he is God. Be still and know that he is holy. Be still or as the soul of mine. Bow before the Prince of Peace. Let the noise and clamor cease. Be still and know that he is God. Be still and know that he is faithful. Consider all that he has done. Stand in awe and be amazed. Know that he will never change. Be still. Be still and know that He is God. Be still and know that He is God. Be still and know that He is God. Be still. Be speechless. Still and know that He is God. Be still and know that He is our Father. Come rest your head upon His breast. Listen to the rhythm of His unfailing heart of love. Beating for His little calling each of us to come and be still
still. 